Hello and welcome to Stories from the Crisper Droid. This is Season 4, Episode 11. I don't know what happened to the milk. <laughs> and it's been a while. It is June 5th. So tomorrow is D-Day and yesterday was, was the anniversary of the Battle of Midway. Two decisive battles um, that started... Well, the Battle of Midway was much more decisive as it was more important in the War of the Pacific. But D-Day was the true end point starting at the end of the Nazi regime. Because once the Americans and the Allied Expeditionary Force of the Brits, Canadians, al and fellow Allied forces with the Americans that were able to successfully land on Normandy and create a beachhead, there was no way that the Germans could successfully fight a two-front war against the Allies and the Soviet Union pushing in from the east. So, and then there's the Battle of Midway where USS Enterprise, um, Yorktown, and Hornet were able to effectively bring an end to the Japanese naval superiority and pretty much end Japanese naval offensive operations in the Pacific. Hello, Trigger. It is raining outside, so Trigger <laughs> Trigger's trying to figure out something to do to amuse himself. What else? Um, well, since the last episode was April 21st, which is over a month ago, I originally planned to record this episode before May 20th, but... Things just kept getting in the way. I've been working my butt off uh, on various other things. Sorry, just hit the thing. Hit the microphone. So now I finally got time and motivation to go do it. And the setup and everything's pretty much fine. Whoa, trigger. <laughs> yeah, sort of moved my, uh, my setup a little bit. It's maybe not as uh, great as it should be, but it um, should be fine. I will, uh, I will see. So... Let us talk about the good old COVID that is going on. Um, the United States is almost done. There are a lot of places are opening up. Um, some places have seen zero deaths in a while, and some places have questionably seen no new cases, at least no new reported cases that were tested. Um, CDC trust is continuing to fall since they changed their minds um, especially now with the Fauci emails out and all this evidence that seems to be that they never were, were super forefront. Now, granted, people expect, um, expected these guys to know everything, which they didn't. And they changed their minds. But the worst thing, but it's not changing your mind. It's not admitting you changed your mind or at least saying, we were wrong, sorry, here's what we're going to go to versus saying, well, this is what it is now. This is the science now. We're following the science, yes, but you're not informing why that science is important. You said, here's a study, and it turns out you actually were wrong about the study. Uh, one example was exterior, um, outside, uh, what was the phrase? Um, outside, outside possibility of um, ca catching, contracting the virus from outside interaction. And the CDC said it's less than 10%. Turns out that was off by a magnitude of two. It was point. 1% chance of catching it outside. And the evidence has been, for a lot of people now, the threat of COVID was only serious for those who... Uh, Trigger's looking at something. Just making sure he doesn't hurt himself. Um, the threat of COVID was definitely much more likely going to be... Um, you're more likely to get infected with a long-term exposure to a person who has it. That's the evidence now. Uh, seems to have been the evidence from various groups as of last year prior, like during the initial wave of this. It seems like that was the information, and then it, everything changed. Um, the masks, 
Yeah, it's just... It's not good when we trust public officials to give us the correct information, and then they, you know, it's hard for them to say, I don't know, which is not a great phrase. It's not a great phrase to say, especially when you are in an organization that is paying you considerably, like Dr. Anthony Fauci, to prepare the United States for coronavirus outbreaks. But he's sort of like, it's time for him to go. He doesn't, he, he doesn't seem to be apologetic in his mistakes and in his misfindings. Or if he knew and yet he ran the other way, or he, if he, he's been telling half-truths, we can tell that. Did he lie objectively? I don't know. We'd have to know inside his head to actually make those claims. Now, let's end the United States stuff. And it seems like the efficacy rate of most of the uh, vaccines is considerably higher for the first shot, for the first dose than was ever expected. And it's just, it seems like you're pretty damn good. And these people who are creating these barriers saying, well, everybody, like, you know, we need to get 80 to 90% of the people having the second dose. It turns out the second dose is like a depending on the vaccine, is marginally, marginally more effective. Like, you're talking about maybe a few percentage points of efficacy overall versus the single dose. Like, Pfizer's like 90 to 91% on its first one. Um, AstraZeneca is something like in the high 80s to 90 to low 90s as well. Uh, I believe Moderna was high was mid to high 80s, and then Johnson & Johnson is in the 80s to high 80s as well. Now, Johnson Johnson's granted is a single shot, so take that with what you will. And Johnson and these Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, um, Moderna, all of their virus, all their vaccines were based on lab tests. And it turns out as it got out into the public and more people were getting these vaccines, the tests were more like the information coming back was better than they had hoped for, which is great. They were playing conservative like this is what we think it will be based on our tests. So we're not going to oversell it. Turns out they didn't, and that's good because that means they weren't promising the end of, like, they weren't promising a mountain when they could only deliver a hill. Now, let's go on to more regional COVID stuff. So, we had a, a, the most extreme lockdown that we've had in the province, except for during the first wave of this virus, started in May. Last year, we had the first wave, which was like freak out, shut down everything. Nobody can really do anything. Then we had summer, May 26th, it opened up again. And then um, we had the post. Um, then we had a lockdown pre-Christmas that lasted for a little bit. And then it just kept. And then it sort of opened up a little tiny bit, but not really. And then the numbers were going down. And then came Easter. And then there was a shot up after that. A shot up actually started before Easter and then kept going. And then now in May, about midway through May, actually around the time of the um, almost near the ceasefire of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, like that just happened, that was about the turning point where the uh, tests, the per, like the po test positivity rate, the hospital hospitalization numbers and the people in ICU numbers were still going up. And then at that point, it started to dip down prop going back. But it was a very extreme lockdown. We had, um, you know, how is this a warship shut down to 15 people? 
Not 15%, 15 people in total. No outdoor eating at restaurants, which, first of all, outdoor eating. Yeah, Alberta, it's still cold, but we had a nice little heat wave there that you could have enjoyed outdoor eating, and we have the evidence that says outdoor eating does not increase the spread. Very unlikely. Most likely, if you're eating outdoors, it's probably people that you've been going to their house during the lockdowns anyway and eating with. So highly unlikely that you're going to catch it from them if you haven't already. Uh, it seems like p- job places and where p- people were locked down, where they had to stay in their home, may have actually increased it, where one or two people will actually go out to work, catch it from work, and they bring it home, and specifically in the northeast of Calgary, where you have more of a migrant community, um, sometimes less affluent, sometimes just having generational housing, where they'd rather, like, all the families live in one or two house houses very close to each other, and they all intermingle. Very easy to have a mass spread there. So living in a house alone versus living in a house with 10 people, very easy to spread through that house of 10 people that you are locked down with for a month and a half versus, you know, practically two months really now, versus living alone. You're probably going to get sick and you can stay home. If you get sick and stay home and you've got 10 other people living in your house, it's going to be very difficult for them not to catch it. But granted, we know that sometimes people haven't caught it. It seems like the asymptomatic spread information is still up for debate. Does it spread asymptomatically? seems like it's very, uh, it's got a low numbers, but you can't say it's impossible because it totally is. But it seems like the estimates versus what actually happened were considerably lower than what they were saying it would be. So then we go to the province arrests two pastors. Now, prior to this, during the last lockdown, they had arrested another pastor and basically dropped all charges except for one. And now these other two, two, they went after him. One, they had to drop the charge because, oh, their court order against him him, um, for having his service was sent to the wrong address because of mistaken identity. Isn't that great? So you arrest somebody, and then afterwards you're like, oh, we sent it to the wrong person. So this guy had never received a summons, which means that our arrest doesn't qualify because he was never properly informed of it. That's great. That's great. We And then people complained about during the Palestinian protest that followed up where you had a thousand vehicles driving through the core of the city. People um, originally was supposed to be a or- nice, uh, nice organized, um, you know, 200 to 300 cars, people staying inside. And then it, you know, it just snowballed. And I don't blame the organizers for that. It's, for, it's the attendees who caused that problem. And they were commingling in ways that they shouldn't have been. And of course, people are like, so you go up to a pastor and you arrest him and then you cite everybody at the church. But you don't mass mass um, ticket these people who commingled beforehand. And we, in fact, have video evidence of at their assembly areas where they were in mass. And only a few of them were wearing masks at that point. And people were like, well, they're in their own car. It's like, but what happens if they're not, you know, what happens if... When they assembled, they went to, like, you know, the Telus Park parking lot or the Calgary Zoo parking lot or McMahon Stadium parking lot or, um, or uh, you know, the, the Calgary Stampede parking lot. Once they assembled, oh, sorry, assembled there first in mass and, like, they had, like, a big get-together and they all got in their cars afterwards. Yeah, it's an outdoor thing, thing true, which, you know, it's just it wasn't in fair enforcement perceived. My thing is, can the, pal- the level of the enforcement that the Palestinian protests got with regards to COVID, not for traffic infractions, 
which is completely valid for the police to go to, could that level of, of enforcement been given to the pastors, which was almost none? I'm not saying write more tickets for the Palestinian protesters who have perfect fine, perfectly right to protest. I'm saying don't give tickets to the pastors and the church. And a lot of people are fighting the wrong way, saying, well, if I got a ticket, they should get a ticket. It should be, they didn't get a ticket, I shouldn't get a ticket. So, there's about that. It's just, it's not great for the Calgary Police Force and for RCMP and other police jurisdictions. And how um, AHS really does, is like really playing hard and loose with the rules. Like, they're not, they're not playing fair with the citizenry. And we know across Canada that's the same way the governments have not been playing, um, have, have basically been assuming that um, we're guilty until we can prove we're innocent in one group. But then in another group, for a political event that the elite, uh, the, the, the urban elite believe that is worthy of it, or it was for an oppressed group, then it's perfectly fine to get together and do this stuff. I say, well, since the most oppressed group is the individual, that means if individuals get together to protest by going to church, going to say that, hey, this conflict going on, it's unfair. Fair and I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into the protests about Palestine, blah, blah, blah. But if there's going to be groups to do that, and yet the police are going to get injunctions saying, hey, protest against COVID restrictions, we can shut that down. We're going to get court orders against you for that. But, oh, you get 4,000 people to assemble for a, a, for a protest in support of Palestine? Yeah, yeah, that's not a problem. We're not going to, even though we know it's coming, you've communicated with us, we're not going to get a court order against that. No, because the individuals who organized both those events shouldn't have gotten court orders against them. It's them. Just like how the, the Palestinian protests didn't get court orders against them. But you know that after that, the Palestinian protests that followed up, the police were much more observant on because the perception of the city was you played favorites and you shouldn't have. And really, the police shouldn't be playing favorites. That's about as far as I'm going with that. That the protest, the content of the protest, seemed to be there were some troublemakers there, but you know, it's just a big convoy of cars driving around the city. Eh. It's... A, if it's disruptive to the traffic and they weren't supposed to be, that's where the tickets that I have no problem with the Calgary Police Force um, issuing. I don't have any problem with that because if you're going to disrupt traffic and you're not going to be proper, like, you know, locking down roads and stuff that people used to traverse for getting home from work and stuff like, and tra- going to buy groceries or blocking, you know, other avenues of transport and, like, let's say an emergency services need to get through and you block that, that's not fair. Then we had the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is the most major confrontation they've had since 2014. Israelis, of course, had the massive use of their Iron Dome system to shoot down as many rockets. Their claim is, again, in the 90% range of interception, and now, they're get, now they have to replenish a lot of their missiles. If it kept going for longer and longer periods of time, the economics of the conflict were like the Iron Dome rocket is somewhere around missile somewhere around like $100,000, $200,000. And the Katusha rocket is like two to 300 American dollars. So the economics don't make sense there in the long run. Like I'm fairly certain the Iron Dome is less than 100000 Like the individual rocket, the batteries are very expensive though, the whole system. 
But this all started from a violent confrontation on the Temple Mount. And I unfortunately have not been able to get any information of, was it Israeli Jewish people who started the confrontation? Or was it um, Israeli Muslims or Palestinian Muslims who were visiting the Temple Mount Mount and going to the mosque there? Didn't they start the confrontation? That's never really been said. I do know that there were ultra-nationalist Israelis who did things that were disgusting during this. But that violent, violent conflict was no excuse for Hamas to fire rockets into Israel. Because what do you think was going to happen? Israel was going to fight back and fight back hard. And they did. They, sh- they punched really hard back. And you're talking about like you know maybe 20 to 30 Israelis injured and killed versus 200 plus Palestinians dead. I don't know, um, just the, the magnitude of destruction the Israelis returned on Hamas was significant, and also how the Israelis played Hamas to trap to get Hamas to trap themselves by doing the saying that there's going to be a ground operation, Hamas deploys their forces to their tunnel network, and then the Israelis bomb the tunnel networks. That was very good strategy. It's unfortunate this conflict is happening to these two countries where we're the civilians and just the population of, of Palestine and Gaza, they're, they're really in a bad place because most of the Muslim world in the Middle East don't care for these people anymore. Their ongoing conflict with Israel, Israel and the fact that there is a group of their population which is fighting Palis- fighting against Israel and then gets bombed, they don't... It's hard not to empathize with them and their position to say Israel is the bad guy. In that case. Oh, Hamas is able to... Hamas is defending me. And it's an unfortunate indoctrination that has happened to those people because of the historical events that have happened for a long period of time. It would be nice if this these conflicts could be no collateral damage, damage only military on military, but the first thing that dies in war is innocence, unfortunately. And thankfully, they were able to get a ceasefire that was negotiated by the Egyptians. Again, Egypt coming in and, and really helping both sides out and saying, hey, don't do this, do this. Um, guys, uh, you should really get a ceasefire here because the Israelis can really give it to you in ways that you've never seen before. The mainstream media really hammed up um, how Gaza was in this. It's unfairly. The, I mean, it's not like the Israelis dropped five Moabs on, on Gaza first and then Hamas fired the rockets in retaliation to that. Hamas fired the rockets first. They went from an internal event to an external conflict. And you can see from some of the videos of the IDF, granted, could be complete propaganda being published by the IDF, but there's also those videos of, um, not videos, but recordings of the IDF calling buildings to say, hey, we're going to be bombing your building. There's Hamas operations in there. There's an Islamic Jihad in there. Please leave. And then um, there's that one of the fathers saying, there's kids here, and it's going to take me a while to get them out. And they're like, well, we don't have a while. You need to get out now. now. And he's like, well, I'm not going to take them out because it will show how evil you are. It's like, that's... That's 
that's a very, very, very hard thing to listen to and very damning to that person. Not saying that's a cultural thing. I'm not saying most of the Palestinians would do that. I don't know. But that's unfortunate when that was put out. But both sides tried to create a narrative. So, on from that to video gaming-related stuff. So, what have I been playing mostly? Well, there was an update recently for, um, for Hyrule Warriors, um, the Breath of the Wild prequel cool game. Um, and then next month, well, actually, this month is the first DLC pack supposed to be coming out, and the next one later on in the year. Um, started playing, so I've been playing that. Uh, Pokemon Snap came out. Um, which the new Pokemon Snap is great. I, I remember my brother and I playing the old Pokemon Snap on um, on N64, and I know those cartridges now go for a lot of money. Considerably different game, though. Um, still the same sort of idea. Take pictures of Pokemon, but it's just like, how much more there is makes it so much more fun to play and keep playing and how there's day and night cycles and different levels of the, the areas you can go to. It's way more fleshed out than the original one was. And it's it's just fun. Are there moments of annoyance? Yes. It passes very quickly. It's actually a very enjoyably relaxing game to play, which makes it a great game. I don't know if the price is worth it, but, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it. I think that if you weren't a, like, hardcore, you want, if you weren't either heavily invested in or you wanted a nice, fun, relaxing game like that, probably wouldn't be worth it. Um... What else? Oh, yeah, Baldur's Gate. Uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, the original, which came, um, has been brought onto the Nintendo Switch, as well as a few other games. I'm Hopefully, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2 comes out, because I have a damaged CD copy of it for my PlayStation 2, which reminds me, I should actually see if I can get my hands on a working copy of it. Uh, hmm. I've got, like, three games I want to buy new copies of. Like, one is Heat Seeker. Which I have on the, the Wii. I played it on the Wii. I don't own a copy of it. At least I don't think I do. No, I don't. So I'd like to get that and play that again. Um, probably actually buy the um, PlayStation 2 version just because that's an easier one to play with. Uh, other games we've been playing. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima made it to the Act 3 and haven't played it since. Because... It's like it comes. Ghost of Tsushima is such a nice game, but it, it's a it's a game that you really don't want to take it all in in one go. It's a nice progressing game. Take your time at it. It's very fun. Fun. Um, won't say much more, but love the first two acts and the sec- third act. Looks like it's going to be a fun game to play. Um, started playing the first Red Faction game. Haven't played too much of it recently. My fault. Um. But I had to download um, Dash Faction, which is a user-made mod slash patch for it after the fact. Because on anything that runs at 60 hertz or higher, the game sort of breaks. Um, By that, there's a... It's it's pretty much like you come to an area we need to drop a submarine from a lift. And with higher refresh rate computers and graphics cards and monitors it will run too fast and it will drop the submarine before it's over the water, making the sub explode. So you need Dash Faction to actually play through it. <laughs> but, man, it's fun. And I downloaded that because I started, de- uh, I wanted to replay um, 
Red Faction Guerrilla, which is like the third time I've played it. I've only beaten it once, so this is the second time I'm going through all the way, and it's like all these things that are talked about in the game, and I'm like, I need to know where this all came from. <sighs> then, I watched the movie Rambo. The first Rambo movie, First Blood. Um, it was... I, it's, I, I think it's on Netflix, but my, it's either on Netflix or Prime. I think it's Netflix. I'd never seen it before, and boy... Um, I'd watched on uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company's YouTube channel. Um, they had... Jeez. Uh, oh, Kyle Lamb of Viking Tactical and a retired Navy SEAL who who writes um, fiction books, who Chris Pratt's going to be playing the main character in one of the movies. And they had this nice long 30-minute long video sex- session with um, Richard Ryan of Black Rifle Coffee. And they were talking, one of the shows they were talking about, they did uh, Delta Force and then they did... Um, that they did Black, um, not Black Town, and then they did Rambo: First Blood, and there was another movie in the in that mix. Um, but they did the um, <laughs> like, like just how they were talking about it and how they know so much about Rambo: First Blood, but and also the book. I just thought like I should watch this movie. It's always been on my list to watch, and it's really enjoyable once you realize that it's an allegory for a man fighting the Vietnam War on American soil, like fighting a guerrilla warfare on American soil who's mistreated because people don't understand post-traumatic stress and what it causes to veterans and how the how um, if you have no community and you're treated with distru- distrust, distrust and yet how people negatively viewed veterans coming back from Vietnam and all this stuff, it was that sort of thing. And it's very interesting take on that. What else? Um... Decided to watch Red 1 and Red 2 again. Um, I just love watching those movies. They're just really, 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 really fun. Uh, playing Resident Evil 7, which I believe I said... No, no, I haven't said my last podcast. Uh, but I have started playing Resident Evil 7. I also built a new computer. And I have a very slight regret with this new computer. But it's a regret that maybe in the long run will be a benefit. I didn't buy a new graphics card for it. And I had a chance to either get a 3070 or 3090. And in my, in like today, it's like, oh, maybe I should have gotten a sports for the 3090 prior to like the 3080 Ti and all this information coming out. But in myself, I'm like, most of the games I'm playing are 1080p. I'm getting 60 frames per second um, outside of Arma, which is like just a hog no matter what. And I haven't tried it on this new system that I built. Because my old one's about five years old, and Arm it played pretty well, but as more content was added to Arma, it started showing, like, oh my goodness gracious, Arma 3 is a tank. So, built that, and then I'm going through a bunch of old hard drives and, and other media holding systems, mostly, like, I've got an old solid-state hard drive, which is a 256 gig, I've got a one terabyte external, and I've got a four terabyte external external enclosure that I'm going through just clearing my house and I'm like finding out oh I have literally for some maps of Command and Conquer Journal Zero Hour and Tiberian Wars and and Red Alert 3 like five or six different five or six copies of the same effing map 
in different file folders that I'm consolidating down. I'm finding out like, wow, this area that used to be this whole file folder section that used to be like five gigs is really not even one gig because I have so many copies of the same damn stuff. Sometimes it's good archival work. Sometimes it's not. So I'm doing that. And have you guys ever done that? Like just gone through tons of your old files and finding out like, well, I don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. Uh, I'll keep that. I've got, wow, I've got 10 copies of that um, with no, like there's no difference between them. Wow, that's dumb. Got to keep moving. <sighs> Jeez. So I'm cleaning that up right now. <laughs> Trying to do my best to fix that. And it's just, it's just funny. Just funny. And then, uh, what else was I playing recently? Oh, yeah, I got back into Valheim with my buddy Rob. Um, uh, what else? Ghost uh, Recon Breakpoint, recent update with the AI characters, how they, you can upgrade them now. That's fun. Some of the, like, challenges are, like, change your gun, change a clothing item, give them a different backpack. It's like, <laughs> really, Ubisoft? That's what you're going to put? Okay, f- whatever. Fuck that. Okay, it is what it is. But, yeah, it's been... Uh, Interesting. Doing a lot of work and playing around with a lot of stuff and learning things about my system and, oh, just, you know, idiosyncrasies that you'd think you'd know and then until you need it, you'd never really test it. And then once you test it, it's like, that works perfectly fine. Why did I not actually try that months ago? Buying new gear and all this other stuff. Just, wow, 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 wow. So... That's what it's going on, and frankly, <laughs> it is what it is. <coughs> Damn. So anyway, um, that's about it. And looking at my uh, little poster in the corner, my little flag of myself. <laughs> oh, I do love, I do love my logo flag. It's so nice to look at. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I'm sorry it took me so long to get back out here to do all this, and uh, I will be uploading this as soon as possible. Anyway, Season 4, Episode 11. I don't know what happened to the milk. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.